Yes. Welcome to this edition of Meet the Press Slam, the third edition on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to re-upload every other episode of Meet the Press Slam from like three or four years. Luckily, I backed them up because I because I was smart enough to do so because Shout Engine, my old podcast provider, actually shut down. So, wah, wah, there. But enough of that. Um, I am here with a very special guest. He is a contributor at Voices of Wrestling, the great Voices of Wrestling site. And he's a host of the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Gerard Detrolio, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Danny. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm a little under the weather, but it, it ain't stopping me. I can speak in a low radio voice like this, you know? <laughs> You know, but but um, we're going to talk a little bit about your fandom a little bit. Um, where pro wrestling Noah and all Japan are going because we don't get we haven't had that much coverage on the social suplex podcast network about all Japan or Noah. Um, and just your impressions of wrestling, honestly. Where'd you get started? Uh, so I guess my first memories of wrestling would have been in, uh, 1991, uh, 1992, uh, like I'm in Canada. And, uh, so like in, like in Ontario, the, the big weekly show would air on Sunday afternoons on channel 11 out of Hamilton. Right. And that was the, like the time slot that Maple Leaf wrestling and the Tunnies had had uh for a couple of decades and then wwf took it over so like i would be at my grandparents uh for like the sunday italian meal thing and go over there like an hour half an hour before we ate kind of thing and uh i would watch like wrestling uh challenge i think it might have been with my grandfather um was your grandfather a fan or i i don't think so but it was just on and he'd watch it it's one of those things like yeah like i remember like when my, my like like my grandparents um my mama she would just let me change the channel and just let me watch what i wanted to watch when i was at their house and it was great yeah so 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 most of my memories would have been um like, I, I don't know. I remember Bret Hart as the Intercontinental Champion. Ooh. I remember the Undertaker, or sorry, Papa Shango making the Ultimate Warrior puke. <laughs> That's uh, an all-time bad one right there. Yeah. And uh, Undertaker putting in body bags, the jobbers in body bags. Oh, yeah. That was so unique at the time. Like, Undertaker putting jobbers in, like, body bags. I'm like, I'm like you can't get away with that now. But, boy, the Undertaker was very mystique back then for sure um and oh big boss man was uh someone i really liked too oh yeah big um, big ray trailer um god rest his soul um uh, so it's funny because uh well there, for a while there uh wcw coverage in canada was spotty um but um there was a channel we got out of cleveland that would air worldwide on Saturday mornings. And we got, we eventually got TBS on like not premium cable, but for whatever reason, until like 1999, 
uh, WCW didn't really interest me, but mind you, I regret that now. I wish I had, I'd been watching WCW back in like 91 and 92. Uh, so that's, I guess, one of the regrets of my life. Oh, uh, yeah. What, what are your biggest regrets as a wrestling fan? Oh, that's probably my biggest, to be honest. Oh, yeah. like, you know, I don't really have any other like super regrets that like, no, I could, like of shows that I could have gone to, but didn't or stuff like that. Um, I've been to every show I wanted to go to. That's- oh, the shows I could have gone, I, I wanted to go to, but I couldn't afford it or something at the right. time. Uh, I remember I would have been 17 and Mudo came into Ring of Honor in Philly, oh. I think, but that just wasn't going to be doable type thing for me. But I really wanted to go and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but so I, I can't tell you, because there was a number of years where I dropped off in the 90s. I couldn't tell you where it was. I want to say, when does Doink debut? Doink debuts 93, 94. Okay, because like I feel like Doink is around but i don't remember it's very early on and i don't remember much of that and i stopped watching like um, doink, let me see doink the clown doink because i i think i remember very early doink but um the first one matt osborne right yeah Matt born yeah the doink the clown gimmick 1992 oh okay yeah so that would have lined up yeah, so he made his in-ring debut in 1993. Okay. So I couldn't have been watching much past 93, and I fall off, although I kind of keep track and I know who the big wrestlers are because I read a lot of video game magazines back then. Right. So I, I, I would at least, like, I would see Doink. I'd see, like, oh, I'd be like, oh, Shawn Michaels is, like, the champion now type thing, right? Right. Um, That's how you sort of caught up with it, like, yeah at the time where you weren't like really interested like how old are you now 37 47 37 37 i'm so sorry <laughs> no that's uh, i misheard you um but uh i i'm 26 so there's an 11 year gap um and how i got into wrestling was basically like UPN used to air SmackDown, so yeah, I used I'm to watch SmackDown. Okay, so it was the old wrestling channel, honestly. In back in the old days, WP, I forget their call letters now. UPN fifty seven call letters, um, in uh, Philadelphia. That that's now the CW affiliate, and then I, I was exclusively a SmackDown kid, you know, and then. I went from there to where we are now. Well, it was, it would have been when you started watching, it would have been the better show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, five. Oh, five. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Seven. Yeah. Yeah. It's Matt. was the better show. I had no interest in raw. I had no interest in the reign of terror. Yeah. So, okay. So my, I stopped watching wrestling. Uh, I, so I figure 92, 93, my grandfather gets, gets sick and, you know, ends up passing away like in a, in a year or two after. Right. So that sort of takes away from that. And, you know, but it wasn't like, oh, I only, I stopped watching wrestling because my grandfather passed away. I just guess I never really had an attachment to it or as much as I thought I did or whatever. So, um, 
fast forward through the early days of, uh, I guess, the Monday Night Wars and the Attitude Area and everything. And I don't start noticing that wrestling is taking off probably until late 1998. Uh, that's when kids at school started wearing their NWO and Austin shirts. So I don't get back into wrestling until February 1999. Wow. Yeah. So right at, after the finger poke. First Raw I ever watched was the night after St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Wow. I, I, I don't even remember the show. I remember my first wrestling card. There's I, a, I, I think it's a cage match between Rock and Mankind because they did the ladder match the night before, right? Right, right, right. And then the big show come or Paul White <laughs> um, yeah. uh, came out because he was still Paul White. So I missed Goldberg or the peak of Goldberg. I guess that wow. would be another regret, right? That should that should be another regret. Yeah. Goldberg, missing out on Goldberg. Peak Goldberg, and yeah. Oh, I saw 1999 Goldberg. So I get back into it. I don't know what it is, but like, I always fancy myself like an intellectual kid and whatever like that, but yet I still love wrestling. So I wanted, I, so I, I start watching WWF cause it's hot, but then I quickly get into WCW. One of my first memories of WCW is that extremely convoluted tag title tournament in early oh, 1999. My God. And I'm immediately attracted to the team of uh, Benoit and Malenko. And like, you know, well, you know what ends up happening, but those were my guys. The rabbit hole you go down. Once yeah. Benoit and Malenko. Malenko. So um, I, I, I get into WCW and, the, and, and whatever. I mean, it wasn't the cruiserweight divisions wasn't even what it was in 98 by 99, but like Kidman was still doing good stuff. Blitzkrieg was there. Um, oh, Blitzkrieg there was, was incredible. Yeah, um, you know, there was still good stuff with Hoovy and Ray, uh, unmasked Ray. <laughs> I like, I come into it and he, he, un I think he, yeah, because he unmasked that Super Brawl eight or nine, Super Brawl nine or uncensored 99, I think. I think it was uncensored 99. Mm -hmm. So, like, we have these things even from before our fandom in the back of our minds. Yeah. And like, it's so funny because I won wrestling trivia like a few weeks ago yeah and like a lot of the questions were like wrestlemania so like one through like 16 yeah i couldn't tell you what happens after wrestlemania 20 <laughs> like if you name a match really yeah i probably couldn't tell you what happens after like wrestlemania 24 okay yeah i've watched the last few wrestlemanias actually i probably watched more well I probably watched more WWE. Well, I know I was watching a little more WWE in like 2015 to 2017. But like I there was definitely a time where I I I wasn't watching uh uh wrestling. Well, I was I was keeping up with Japanese stuff, but I wasn't paying attention to what was going on in America. Um so I was like, who the fuck is this Miz guy? Yeah, he's such a big star. <laughs> I saw the rise of that. That's yeah, a funny yeah, part. Yeah. That's a funny part because like 2006, 2007, you see the rise of this guy and then it's like, oh, he's going to be something. Yeah. He thicks out a little bit and then like 2010, 2011 hits and he's a star. Like, yeah. Yeah, he, made, he headlined WrestleMania. He headlined the WrestleMania. 
So it's really weird. Like, like you, you thought this guy with the foul hog was never going to make it. And he did. Yeah. So I guess to get back to the timeline of my fandom. So in 99, right. Uh, I'm playing, I, I'm following wrestling, both WCW and WWF playing a lot of WCW revenge with oh, my, with my, uh, with my, my, with my friends. Um, and I'm playing, well, I never had an N64 at a PS1. Right. And, but, but I was playing like GoldenEye and in, in Revenge a lot at my friend's house, at friend's houses. And, um, but I, I like playing WCW versus the world, I think it was on PS1. Right. Um, and boy, that rabbit hole, it, it goes down mm-hmm. like the flagship set this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is there is versus the world talk on the flagship, and um, so I'm I, and I'm we have the internet. We got the internet in '98 in my in my family, um, so I, I'm using it to basically read about wrestling nonstop. Uh, that was my main use of the internet at this time. I remember WCW Live. I remember, and so I I was never a big magazine guy, but. Yeah. This changed my life. I bought the 1999 PWI 500. And I want to say is, it was Austin number one. I think Goldberg number two or RVD number two. I can actually look this up, PWI 500. But I remember who number three was. It was Misawa. And there were pictures of him and Kobashi and Kawada and Mudo in that. Because I, I really didn't know who the great Muda was in, 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 in early 1999 because I like had just gotten back into wrestling and I never I never watched WCW when he would have been there. 1999, it was Stone Cold, yeah, RVD. Okay, yeah, yeah. And Misawa was three, right? Misawa, yeah. Rey Mysterio four, Rock okay. five, DDP six, Muto seven, yep. Undertaker eight, nine Goldberg, ten Taz. <laughs> That's not a bad top 10 for that year, I suppose. And that's not a bad top 10 at all. Yeah. So this was like all, almost at the end of peak Sawa right there. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm like, these Japanese guys look very badass. And I was never a big, well, I watched anime, but not like a lot. Like, and I'm like a poser anime guy because all the anime I've seen is like the, the big stuff. Like right. Akira, Fist of the North Star, Full Metal Alchemist, Dragon Ball, that kind of thing. But I, but I was a huge fan of Godzilla movies. Like I owned like all of the Godzilla movies on VHS. Do you still own like the Godzilla movies on? I DVD? got the Criterion uh, collection of the show nice. era. It's it's awesome, and um, so I, you know, I had like familiarity with Japanese culture, right? And I was like, well, they do things cooler in Japan, so I want to um, try to track more stuff down. So like I, I find like the Death Valley Driver. That's a rabbit hole. I was a lurker. I think I may have posted one or two things. I can't even remember what my username was. Um, I started I started listening to Wrestling Observer Live on Yada. Oh my god! Yeah, you're blowing my mind with all this stuff because I wish I was around during this time. Yeah, it was kind of. It's kind of well, I've gone back because people have uploaded those episodes to YouTube, like on like, you know, very important dates like WCW gets purchased by 
WWF and that kind of thing. And right, and, and the Yada show is up on. Yeah, and I would listen live. I think it drove my parents crazy because I was clogging the phone lines <laughs> for like two hours straight every night. Um, and then, uh, so we we got TNN on cable in Canada. So ECW was big. And a uh, big part of my fandom was seeing Masato Tanaka. Yes. And um, like, I remember, like I watched uh, him and the Mike Awesome when they traded the title back and forth. So that was huge. People don't remember this, but Akuto Hidaka was also on the same episode that uh, Tanaka won the ECW world title on. Akuto Hidaka, who did he face? I can't remember. Was it uh, Little Guido? I think it was, yeah. Yeah. I think it could have had a handful they, of matches. They would have been, they would have been good, um, good guys to put together because uh, Guido was in UWFI. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so from there, I, I, I am like, okay, Masato Tanaka is fucking awesome. And, like, he always has a very special place in my fandom because of that. And then from there, we're off. Uh, in 2000, uh, I start getting tapes. And, uh, and uh, or it was late first tape, maybe. First even. tape. Oh, you want to hear how I got my first tapes? Because this yeah. is quite the story. I don't order them through the, a website or anything. So I'm from London, which is halfway between uh, Detroit and Toronto. So we do family vacations in Toronto, like on a long weekend or something stay at a hotel downtown. So I go there and like, I'm reading on all these message boards, like, oh yeah, I would go down to the Japanese um, like grocery store and buy tapes, right? I, I would see a lot of people would do that. So I look up in the, in the yellow pages, uh, a Japanese grocery in, in Toronto. And I find one, like it's on, the western edge of downtown, or it's not downtown. Like, walk. It's a, it's a thirty to forty minute walk from my hotel. I go there. My grandmother had given me sixty dollars for the weekend. I go in. I ask for the tapes. They had fifteen VHS tapes at four dollars each. So what, exactly what do, you do? what do you do? I buy them all, <laughs> and it was all. It was all All Japan and New Japan TV from between 97 and 98 and 99. Cause uh, I got like G197 was on there and uh, episodes from uh, the Baba Memorial show in, in May 99 were on there too. And it, it was just random, right? So I, I'm, I then proceed to go return to the hotel carrying this like, it's one of those wide boxes that's narrow. So it's just awkward to carry. Or, you know, it's like a yeah, long, yeah, yeah. it's a long, thin box full of VHS, 15 VHS tapes. So it's awkward to carry. So I then proceed to walk back to the hotel carrying this box of, of 15 VHS tapes. 40 minutes. That's, that's, that's. And I, I think, uh, I think my parents thought I was crazy because I blew like all my money on that one thing. Exactly 15 tapes they were selling at four bucks each. So it was like perfect luck. And um, what other things did I do? I ended up getting, uh, I did end up getting an N64, like when they were dirt cheap because they had sort of, you know, it was past the peak, right? 
Yeah, but to this speed. day, to this day, the most expensive video game I ever purchased was Virtual Pro Wrestling 2. And I would have paid $120 Canadian for it in either late 01 or early 02. What's that worth now? Well, let, let me uh, pull up the inflation calculator here. I love how we're both big nerds and we're just searching things. Well, no, sorry, my uh, internet was bugging out there for a second. Uh, so anyway, uh, so as not to make this like bad audio or anything like that. Um, but yeah, like- You wanna so, know who was number three on the PWI 500 in 2005? No, who? Satoshi Kojima. Ah, that's uh, funny. That's funny. We that would probably that, been his, yeah. that would have been his peak year, I think, too. Yeah, actually. yeah, peak all Japan here. Yeah, because he won the Triple Crown in, in February 05. He was the head of Triple H and JBL. Only That's hilarious. Behind, only behind John Cena and Batista. So from there, I, I so I'm spending money, I'm getting tapes and, and stuff like that. And um parents think you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, but they, they don't like complain, they just think I'm crazy, they don't complain about it or try to stop me although i'm like in my late teens what's what's not, not like they were gonna be like that strict about these kind of things or something like that but it was it was just funny to they think i'm like why is he spending money on these like you know god eighth generation vhs tapes and stuff like that right um there's a reason so okay so 120 dollars canadian in 2001 would be 184 dollars today yeah, uh, <laughs> I've, I've never paid. I've never paid that heard, much. What's sense. Virtual Pro Wrestling Two worth on eBay? You still have that game? Uh, you know, I don't know what happened to it, and that drives me crazy. Oh, I I moved a lot when I was like in um, university and stuff. Yeah, I would end up moving yeah. every year, like oh, you know, stuff like that. So I don't know when I lose track of it. It. <laughs> If it's anywhere, it's somewhere in a box in my parents' house, but I don't it's think one, it is. It's $59.99 right now. Okay, so the copy I got came with the back shaved off because, you know, the copy protection and everything. Yeah. So that was very convenient that I didn't have to uh, shave it off myself because I probably would have fucked Nobody's selling one and two for $73.99 from Japan. That's not bad at all. Because that was the most, I was the second most imported N64 game, I think, of all time. What? I did not know this. Yeah. Second, or I think it's second. There was some RPG that was number one, I think. Let me research this. Yeah. Most imported N64 games. Here we go. The old top 10 Nintendo 64 game. There you go. It was some RPG. Yeah. But I think VPW2 is, is, is number two. Sin and Punishment. I'm looking at a different list. Yeah. So 
I guess about that time, that sort of sets me up for my fandom. The only other big moment I can think of, you know, that uh, the Mudo and Kojima jump to All Japan was a big moment for me, actually, because 2001 Mudo um, was a huge thing just for me. Oh, yeah. It probably saved your fandom. Sort of like, see, well, I wouldn't say it saved my fandom, but I was just incredibly into it. And that's why, even to this day, like Mudo is in my top 10 all time. And uh, I don't think there's anything he can do short of like a terror, uh, masterminding a terrorist attack or something that would have me remove it. Even though I really don't like what's been happening. I just like, can't remove the good year, the good times, you know, and stuff like that. No, we can't remove the good times with Mudo. Yeah. If he's a shot, but we can't. So. You you want to know how I discovered Japanese wrestling? Yeah, I'd be curious. I'm curious how other people do it because everyone seems to have their own weird story. 2009 unique one guess what happens 2009 2009 uh misawa dies yep i was like who the hell is this misawa guy (laughs) and why are they saying he's the best wrestler of all time i go onto youtube which youtube back then was the wild wild west Mm -hmm. watch 12097 then i was like i knew yeah 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 I knew right then and there, I was like, I got to watch more of these guys. But I didn't get a flailing interest into Japanese wrestling until like 2014. Okay. With the big, huge fan. So, um, you know, going off to university and stuff like that, like, you know, changes some stuff. So I oh, yeah. completely drop out of, of American wrestling, North American wrestling. And uh, there's there's a few years there where I was really spotty in 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 in, in uh, following Japanese wrestling, although I would still like watch the big stuff because by then we, it was in the torrent era. Like I, I remember I remember downloading like the I think the first torrent I ever downloaded was the um, the 2005 Noah Dome show. Ooh, um, and that's one hell of a torrent to download the first. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, because no, I, I, I think I'd heard about torrents for a year or two before, and I was just like, I don't quite understand how they work, <laughs> but eventually I figured it out. Oh, my uh, mom God. had a boyfriend who knew how torrents worked, and then I quickly picked up how torrents worked, and I so, downloaded indie wrestling from that. <laughs> so from 06 to maybe, I don't know, early 2010s, I am checking in and out. There, there were times where I was like going weeks or months without checking up what was going on. Right. And then I would catch up. So when Misawa died, I didn't find out until three weeks later. Uh, how did you feel not until three weeks later that one of your core idols had died? <laughs> I, it was gutting, very gutting. Uh, well, you know, you know what? Because I had tuned out wrestling. You want to hear my Chris Benoit die story? I do want to hear your Chris okay. Benoit. Okay. I heard it in summer camp. That's how I okay. heard it. So I don't hear until I'm not following wrestling. But obviously it was a huge story. Right. But we are, it must have been the Tuesday after or the Wednesday. I am... Um, yeah, I'm at the University of Toronto. I was at the gym. And then I go to grab a drink at like the variety store. 
at the northern edge of campus by the subway. Oh no, oh no. And then I'm leaving. And because of the way they had the newspapers like thing, you don't see them coming in. You see them leave, going out. Yeah, yeah. And he's on like the front page of the Toronto Sun, which is the tabloidy, like the po- New York Post or something. So they would run like a story like that as their as their headline. Yeah. And um, it was just like, I was like, holy shit. And uh, I, I couldn't process it. I didn't have a smartphone. And I don't even think, I'm not even sure how many people had smartphones back then in 2007. Like, uh, so I couldn't like Google it instantly. I had to go home. But I was like, home. I was literally in shock from this is wild. This is like one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And he So did you know what? And, and it was mind boggling. So I don't get on the subway. I just start walking home, which takes an hour to do walk across the city to process this yeah and at the time i was a smoker and i was just like chain smoking cigarettes down the street street trying to process like why could why why did this happen and it was insane and then you know i I get i found out about everything yeah in summer camp um like the like i get home from summer camp i and and there was the news and then I woke up the next morning and the the, the raw happened. I watched the raw. Didn't know Mm. obviously what went down after the raw. Yeah. And then I go to summer camp the next day. Somebody told me Benoit murdered somebody. I'm like, what the hell? And I was like, I was 11 at the time. Right. You, you couldn't like, like Eddie's death was the first death really that, hit hard and then it was Benoit's because it was like Jesus Christ even at 11 years old you're like bruh Mm -hmm. yeah I had I had lived through quite a few wrestler deaths at that in that era but nothing the the Benoit thing really shook me right and it's awful but like not every wrestling death shakes me shakes me right i can only i can name a, a handful like right there's only um a uh guerrero benoit misawa and um at sushi aoki oh in in 2019 yeah. those are like probably the the the, the deaths that shook me the most it, it was definitely benoit eddie those two definitely because eddie was early on in my fandom and I, I took a like to him right away. I knew I was smart right away, man. I I gravitated towards Eddie and Benoit and all those yeah, guys. Exactly. I knew I was a smart right away. Um, and Malenko, I I I have to say, I, apparently, and I haven't seen too much of this, but I've been told that there is a backlash to Malenko claiming that he's overrated. Have you ever seen that? He's not overrated. No, I I don't think he's overrated at all. It's like this whole no meta thing now. Yeah. And like everyone's trying to be meta to be meta. And I'm like, I'm not about that. I watch the matches to watch matches. Yeah. But and then like wrestler things that happened, speaking out was a thing that happened that mm-hmm. really shook me. Um, but it shook me in a different way. Like not to view these right. guys as great guys. I never thought most wrestlers probably. No, 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 no. Yeah. No. 
I never thought that either, but. And I, and I thought that from a very young age because I would listen to like the interviews on the Wrestling Observer Live because you had Tom Zank and you're like, this guy's a sleazeball, even though he was very funny and stuff like that, right? And then, you know, Sam Martino was on telling, he seems like probably somewhat of a decent guy. Um, right. But he would tell stories about like, you know, all of these other awful people in wrestling and stuff like that. Right, I had been backstage at wrestling shows and stuff like that mm-hmm. prior and stuff like that. And I didn't know like the culture and stuff like that. So that's why it hit me hard. It was like, I got to be more on guard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Like yeah. yeah, like, yeah, so that's how it feels. But those are the wrestling things that really hit you hard. And what, what, what other deaths were there? Well, I, I mean, I would have been through Henning and Hawk and... Um, I didn't go through those. Yeah, who else? I went through Brian I Adams. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, yeah. And it was like, the weeks after Benoit, I was like, one Warrior was one. where Oh, Owen, I went through the Owen death. I, I can't believe I forgot that. You went? No, no, no. But like, I was watching. Oh, yeah, you were watching Over the Edge. No, I wasn't watching Over the Edge. I watched the Raw after, though. Oh, yeah. But that was something that I lived, you know, experienced and everything like that, right? Right. And, um, yeah. So it's getting too grim for me. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, like, I mean, the, the thing is, like, yeah, I know it's grim, and, yeah, and I know not everyone's going to want to talk about it, but, I mean, I think it's something that we all have experienced as wrestling fans. Yeah, and as music fans, as yeah, for sure. movie fans. Like certain deaths shake you. Like I was, I was, I remember Kurt Cobain dying, but I was nine years old, so I wasn't listening to Nirvana. Yeah, Taylor Hawkins was a reason one for me. Like, right, I had to like stop what I was doing because Foo Fighters is one of my favorite bands. Okay, it's funny you bring up the we sort of shifted to music because when I would have been. 12, 13, 14, 15, the Smashing Pumpkins were absolutely my favorite band. Oh. And then I, and then like I, uh, I would say, I want to say I was a regular Pumpkins listener through the Machina album. Machina, okay. And do you remember when he released Machina 2 all online? No. Okay. When was that? What year was that Machina? Oh, four, oh, five? No. Um, I get into music more in like 2010 oh okay um i because i went to high school and like i discovered the active rock station in my city and so and started forming my own taste in like 2008 in middle school yeah anyway the point what i was going to say was like i um oh he that was from 2000 jesus that was way earlier than i thought then so he released Billy Corgan releases Machina 2 all online because he's frustrated with the record companies and stuff. So I would say I'm probably a big Pumpkins fans until maybe 01 or 02. Right. And then I draw, and then like he goes, he does Zwan, he does his solo stuff. And I, and I don't like any of it. It's not very good. No, it's not. No. So for him to come in and buy NWA and everything, like I didn't have any emotional attachment. I'm like, oh my God, Billy Corgan has bought this. I'm going, you know, I just don't feel anything about it. I, I, I felt more attachment with Tony Khan, but what's going into the wrestling business. Right, right. Because yeah. it was like, finally, someone who understands me mm-hmm. buying a wrestling company. Yeah, for sure. 
because it's finally after all these years of like people running us down, running the people who follow the Japanese wrestling tapes, people who are on DVD, PR, people who are on pro wrestling only, people who are on Voice of Wrestling down. A guy like us bought a wrestling company and he's doing pretty damn well. Right. Yeah, for sure. That's and AEW's up. Death Valley Driver poster. Death Valley Driver poster, Tony Khan. Yep. And it's not like it's not like AEW's perfect. It's not. Right. I went on Wednesday and I didn't like some of the show, but um I felt like finally someone who gets what is going on with this industry. It, it's it's funny because I watch every week. I've bought in just about every pay-per-view and I enjoy it, but it doesn't hit me like it does Japanese wrestling. Right. But I don't want to miss an episode of that seems weird. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird because he doesn't, he doesn't has those instincts. Yeah. Well, like, for example, like I'm not going to sit here and bury hangman page, but he just does. I don't have that emotional. No, I don't have that emotional attachment that a lot of people do. I'm like, I don't like, I like Kenny Omega. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like, I like guys kicking ass. I like Brian Danielson. I like it's, John it's, it's funny because I never liked the Young Bucks for a while. I thought it was annoying, but like, I can't deny it. I cannot deny their talent, right? They keep winning me over with every match and, and stuff like that, which is funny. Yeah, it's funny because like, they are good. They are genuinely good guys. And funny fact is, like he sort of worked the southern tag style now just to laugh in the face of the critics yeah uh, well same thing with i am on the ftr train now too i thought they were kind of disappointing at first in in oh AD. yeah now they're like yeah next um, level well i guess sort of like what i was going to say is one thing about the evolution of my fandom is like when i would have been you know 15 to 20 or something like that I would have been like, and I kept, it's, it's contradictory. Right. But I'm like, man, if I had a promotion, it would look like rings or something. But yeah. as I get older, I appreciate the spectacle of pro wrestling more. Not that doesn't mean like sports entertainment, you know, or right. Right. The but I pro wrestling. Right. Which is like, for example, I love Jade Cargill. Right. right. I'm a huge fan. And I just like love everything about it. The character, the spectacle, like the relationship with Smart Mark and everything like that. Like that's just a lot of fun, right? Right. And, and, and that's probably something I wouldn't have been into. Wrestling. Like that's something I wouldn't have been into 20 years ago. There's a lot of spectacle of pro wrestling that I love. Yeah. That's not necessarily sports. Like the box. The box are prime example A of like the sport, like the, uh, Example of pro wrestling, I love because they 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 go in there, put full maximum effort, and they're entertaining while doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and wrestling's supposed to be absurd sometimes. I get yeah. it, but but not too absurd. Well, there's a fine line because I'm not I'm not really into uh, Danhausen or uh, Orange oh, Cassidy. Orange Cassidy, uh, no, no. But I would watch any Kikutaro match. True. Kikutaro doing the uh, 
positive like that. Yeah, like exactly. The, I don't know. I, I, th- I, I think the hand, I don't know. I just, I, the, like, there wasn't a lot of the comedy stuff in maybe on the Indies, but like the comedy was different in North America. And in some ways, I think the Kikutaros and the Osaka pros and stalker Ishikawa have had some kind of influence on comedy in, in North American pro wrestling subsequently. But like, to me, like that would be my preferred type of comedy in, in, in wrestling. Stalker has at least one thing in every one of his matches that make you laugh out. Like, I, I, I don't know how he does it. It's like, I, it's, you could argue like he has like one of the greatest, not just the comic, greatest comedy wrestler, but like one, you know, one of the greatest like ring psychologists. Oh, yeah. You can make people laugh like that every time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't I think agree. that sort of, I don't think that sort of um, credit for like, because people think of psychology differently than comedy, but I think there's a huge part of psychology to that, right? Because I'm sure like, you know, a good comedy wrestler, I would assume, I don't know what goes through their heads, but obviously sometimes they come out planned, like Kikutaro would dress up like Stan Hansen or, or something, right. but clearly they will do stuff. They, they clearly must read the crowd sometimes to come up with stuff, right? In the moment, right. you know? So I just think it's, it's a marvel of not too much comedy, but right. comedy that makes it right. Yeah. And that's one of my problems. I would put that probably on, on my list of things I don't like about AEW. It's the comedy sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I like 2.0. I think 2.0 is great. Yeah, 2.0 and Daniel Garcia are phenomenal. Are great. But the the Orange and Dan Housen, I'm not so big on. Yeah, I'm not so big on that kind of stuff. But people recall us now. <laughs> yeah. Or like, just like, you know, I like the acclaimed. Yes. And I like, um, I like uh, Ricky Stark's humor because it's very Ooh. like understated and subtle. And it's dark. Yeah. It's a little dark too. Like when he called Swerve and Keith Lee, like, uh, I was like Dollar Star Keenan and Cows. Oh, yeah. I remember that. And, 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 and stuff like that. Like funny lines and promos that I love and stuff like that. Right. Um, small little zingers but not like the whole act yeah exactly right um you know but and most of the i think my other criticism of AEW would just be like certain stylistical choices yeah um you know because there's a lot of debate this week about the the tnt title changes Oh yeah, I, I don't. I, I, I'm not I don't have an issue. I don't have an issue with a mid card title going hot potato sometimes. That just doesn't bother no. me. Um, but then the way they were perceiving it at first, it was like it's going to be an equal title, and I'm like, right. But it never was. It never was, and it's like never was. Rampage was going to be more than a B show. I mean, I think. I mean, he debuted Punk on there, right? Right. And he's been beefing them up in the last couple of weeks. Right. But it was always clearly like a B show other than that. Right. Although I like it. It's like quite possibly the easiest wrestling show to watch. No, it is the easiest wrestling show to watch. I was there on for on Wednesday. Right. I, yep. I was like, this is just so easy. It's like the tape, even like the tapings, and you know wrestling tapings suck. Yeah. 
like I've never AW been to a makes, wrestling taping actually. AW makes it easy to watch because there's always something going on. It doesn't make you think, "Oh, I'm at a taping." Yeah, like the yeah, yeah. SmackDown. It makes you think you're at a taping. I, I've never been to a I've never been to a WWE show. Oh, and I don't think I will be at this point because it's no, like and not at this point. Why? Yeah, like I have I flirted with the idea of going to a house show. I have, but not I never day. pulled the trigger. Not, no. not these days, anyway. Like the may, a couple of years ago, there would have been enough talent possibly to justify it. Yeah, there's not enough talent to justify doing some of it. the talent now. No, no. And he just released a bunch of other talent yesterday. I'm like, yeah, like, bro. Ah, uh, yeah, it's just so. Uh, but the state of all Japan and Noah, what would you call it? Well, let's start with Noah because it's the hot, <laughs> it's the hot topic. And I just, I stayed up till 7 a.m. this morning watching <laughs> Noah because yeah. it was like a four hour show or four and a half hour show or whatever. Uh, it was a good Wait. show. It was a good um, show. It was a good show, but I mean, you could get frustrated watching it. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's been the story of pro wrestling over the past few years. It's like good aspects of the show, but frustrating. I think it's, I think it's more so the story since Muto won the title. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would date it to. Uh, so two years, uh, he would have won that title in February 01. 21. Yeah, or yeah, sorry. <laughs> that makes now going decade. back to Mudo in two thousand in February two thousand one. Well, let me tell you. you well, know. Let me tell you, February two thousand one, he was facing Janichiro Tenru, and yeah, boy, those matches were a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the ten Tenru Mudo. There's a Tenru Mudo match from June two thousand one that would absolutely probably be in my top five, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but so anyway, um, getting back to that. You know, I mean, the old guys had been there since the, since, well, since Cyber Agent bought the company, I guess, in early 2020. And they, so they were all there through the pan, early days of the pandemic and everything like that. Right. And, and that was fine. Like, I don't mind old guys on the card, depending on where you put them and whatever. And well, that, but then, you know, Mudo started geeking out um, Kiyomiya. Fine, whatever. But because Go was having this incredible run as the champ. And then Muto wins the title and everything starts falling apart because they start putting on the tag titles and the national title on old guys too, right? Right. And uh, all of the heavyweight titles in Noah are held by, what was it? This, they, okay, so there's four champions between the two singles titles and the tag titles. Three out of the four are, are over 50 and one is over 40, which is Hideki Suzuki is only like, like 41 or 42. And he just got released from the E. <laughs> yeah. And he's not, he's refusing to do jobs to one of their top guys in Nakajima. So what? What? Yeah. Cause they had the tag, they had a tag title match where they were Sugara and Suzuki beat Keno and Nakajima. Oh, I did and read they, that. And they did the, uh, they did the, the, the thing on like a Korokin a couple of weeks ago where it's like each guy has a singles match against the other. Right, right, right. To build it up. So there's a Sugera versus Keno match and a Nakajima versus a Suzuki match. 
And so Sugera beats Keno, but uh, Suzuki and Nakajima went to a 30 minute draw. And it, come, it turns out that uh, Nakajima was supposed to win, but Hideki said no, which is the, the, uh, the second time that they've had a, a 30 minute draw actually, because they had one in early February of 2020, I think. Cool. Um, it was a great match. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I... It was really in WWE. The, the, like the, Suzuki, the Suzuki discourse, I should clarify myself. I think he's an excellent professional wrestler. I've given Hideki Suzuki match five stars. I know that there are people who don't like the style, which is fine. I get that. But my issue with Hideki Suzuki, because people get very protective of him, is that he's, he's clearly a... Uh, a problem in the locker room companies have tried to use them before both big japan and wrestle one made them their champion to like eventually put over their guys and he sort of stiffed and wouldn't suffer daichi hashimoto who was you know big japan was trying to make him into their <laughs> star and that well daichi kind of eventually got good but the timing was such that you know hideki sort of putting him over technically but not really selling like him over. over type thing hurts him and, and that kind of thing and he he doesn't really draw you know there's no yeah. evidence of him at least anything bigger than cork and hall um now people are blaming nosawa which is legitimate um these are his friends like mudo he no mudo gave yeah. Mudo gave Nosawa his first like regular contracted gig because he was just an indie slummer. And then Mudo brought him into all Japan in the mid 2000s. Um, and he's friends with like your Seguras and the shooters, Masakatsu Funaki and, and Hidekian, obviously. And so <laughs> this work gets a little more complicated because I'm not letting off Nosawa off the hook, but it's abundantly clear that cyber agent who has clearly putting a lot of money into this because they've signed all these old guys and because they signed Mudo to a two-year contract and they're bringing in Kaz Fujita and they're, they brought in all these foreigners. We, we can discuss some of the choices of foreigners later, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, the but they're spending money. They're, been, uh, they're spending money. Yeah, they're spending money. And the reports are they got freaked out because the January Budokan did a thousand less than... Um, the Go Mudo Budokan in February 2021. So there's clearly directors of they got to they're they got to you know draw in big buildings. They're running the Budokan again in uh, July and then um, again in January 2023. They just ran two nights at Sumo Hall. They drew 1585 for an all junior show and then only 2077 for the Boy, last the, night uh, show. Yeah. And uh, DDT Judgment in March drew 2,500. That's telling you something right there. Yeah. Now, mind you, it was the 25th anniversary DDT show, so that might be a bit of a... That's probably why. Yeah, but it's, but it's still, it's, it's, it's sort of questionable on that one, right? Um, because I don't really pay attention to pre-pandemic -pan numbers. There's certain trends that I think you can still pull like if all of a sudden companies start doing even worse than they were. Oh yeah. Earlier yeah, in the pandemic. Pull that trend out. And I think stardom has grown. I don't think that's deniable, undeniable. And Noah was growing. Uh, no, no, it's not. No. 
Um, so I think you can, like New Japan is really hard to say. I think that's a little more complicated. Oh but yeah, I that think, is complicated. But I think you could, the collab crowds and everything. Yeah, and just like zone out buildings. And yeah, they and they're running extremely large buildings that have, well, had I don't know what the capacity rules are. They keep changing, and they're different in different prefectures too. Right. Um, so New Japan's a little hard to get a a, a radar a read on, but you can tell. Um, you could just even go by 20, 2019 pre-pandemic numbers for some of those. Like Stardom has had their biggest shows attendance-wise during the pandemic. They were never drawing some of those house sizes in um, in twenty nineteen. I've seen some people say there's paper papering involved. I don't know how accurate that is or not. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, that's the sort of the business situation. There's a lot of pressure to deliver on on this. So that's sort of you know I don't want to absolve. Nosawa completely because some of his harebrained ideas are truly crazy in terms of pushing the old guys but there is that pressure of you got to fill up Budokan you got to fill up Sumo Hall that's that's not helping I think and Nakajima might be toast as a main eventer I mean I don't think that's impossible to say that's not impossible Mike that's not impossible uh I think they still have plans for Kaido Kiyomiya I think but he keeps losing and losing and losing the big ones um yeah uh i, I know it is I, I like i like what they're doing this just seems strange to say but i think the junior division has actually gotten better which has been a point of uh debate because of some of the booking and the goofiness but it's they're actually paying attention to it and they're letting them run their own all junior shows they're working with dragon gate oh, so man. that's that's good um but i mean some of the booking is frustrating yeah absolutely and if you don't like i don't understand like okay well you know it's funny because i've like Meltzer talks about this in regards to aew it's like well look you gotta you gotta get a certain rating on tnt with using the jericho's but you also need time to put dante martin on tv because five years from now you need Dante right. Martin or or Yuda or whoever to draw uh, ratings for you, and you know Jericho, you know might not be wrestling or whoever, right? Years from now, yeah, yeah. So that's the balancing <laughs> act, and I think you know for the most part, Tony is mostly getting that. I would say there's some start stops on some people, younger people in AEW that is weird. Oh yeah, there are some start stops. Yeah, on the like the younger ones, like you know what happened to Dante Martin, especially now that Darius is out again. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like shouldn't you be using him like you were just a couple months ago, and that kind of thing. Um, but anyway, like comparing it, but mostly Tony is getting it right. You know, he's look at what he's done. Nosawa is not, and then look what, but Nosawa doesn't have that balance at all. No. And they've got younger guys like Yoshiki Inamura and Kenya Okada who are both turning 30 later this year and they're still basically job guys that sucks and they don't have any they don't have any young heavyweight talent in other than kaido in their mid or early 20s oh wow so there's a that's a big problem and then all japan sort of similar in situation well yes and no um i i will get a little more defensive of all japan because i think it bottomed out in 2020 i would say Right, Just right, right. From lack of interest, because Kento Miyahara was no longer the Triple Crown champion. And what they did was they 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 
I think Mihara was losing the title when he did, but I don't think didn't think Suwama was going to have the reign as long as he did, but they did because of the pandemic to basically, you know, what does it matter who our champion is? Right. At, under these circumstances, because this was in the, this is like really early on when it was still, they were, they were taping in empty arenas and stuff like that, right? So it doesn't really matter who the, the champion is. And so a lot of people turned off. I would defend and I, like it was, it was a little depressing to watch at times, but I don't think it would, some people claim it's the worst company in Japan and, and I don't buy that at all. Oh no, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come here and, and defend it and say, well, actually there was a four and a half star match. No, it's not that they were, well, they've had four and a half star matches, but they're, they're not having as many as they were, you know, two, three, four years ago. That's two, for three, sure. Three, four years ago. Yeah, like 2018, 2019 really was their, their last peak, I'd say. But uh, they're not we the worst really company. We really want to say who the worst company is in Japan is Russell Wong. Just kidding. <laughs> they closed. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's funny because I was thinking about this. Like, what is the worst company in Japan? Like, there's some pretty indies that are sort of hard to watch sometimes. But there's a certain baseline level of talent in Japan where, where, like, even an indie does not get as bad as a, a U.S. indie. It doesn't even get as bad as a certain larger indies as well, right? I'm not going to name names. We're not going to name names. Um, no, I mean, I, I I respect what GCW has done. This is just an aside. Like, because I, okay, this is another aside. I pay, I care about like the business of wrestling and, right. and read about the business more, more than I would have used to, because it's sort of fascinating <laughs> to me now. And one of the things is in GCW, it's like, okay, well, they're drawing. I think they might've peaked. Oh yeah, they definitely peaked. Although I don't think their crowds have fallen off. Like some people, I saw some people expect after Hammerstein. Um, they're still doing decently. All yeah, things they're considered. still doing well. I but, still think but, but I am not confident in their long-term success. No. Right. And so, which is sort of gets to, gets to my another point is I'm like, I've, I've, I've seen good GCW shows and I've seen good matches, but can, consistency is not their strong point. And I've seen some horrible things. But what sort of gets me to the point is like, I've seen people complain that certain GCW regulars get booked on their favorite indie. The, because, you know, of, of um, because they don't like GCW and because they think these wrestlers suck, which fine, they're not all great wrestlers. But it's just like, I don't understand what you expect in your local indie not to book the hottest independent wrestlers that are highlighted in the hottest independent promotion in the country, right? right? Like, who are you? Called you can't business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, you could do um, stupid things with big stars that I ended up killing your business. You know, too. Do, like, pro wrestling, no. Yeah. Um, but, but it's just, like, I cannot complain when you book, I don't know, a GC, top GCW names on your right. local indie. It just doesn't bother me at all. Like, or, you know, I mean, there's no, no one's booking GCW people up here in Canada regularly no, no. or anything. But the point is, I would have no issue with that. Like, you know, it just doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Like, what do you expect right. people to do? Right. Then you're supposed to book top guys. Yeah. You're super indie. You're supposed to put. So anyway, back to all Japan. Um, I, I think they bottomed out. But they're slowly getting better. I think they put the title back on Kento. Um, and he immediately, like, and like I said, you can tell certain things, even in the pandemic. Numbers. 
you can clearly see that that they have done some better numbers since Kento got the belt back within uh, pandemic parameters. Uh, they never stopped turning out rookies out of their dojo, which I think is a very important part of any right. Japanese company. And there's some legitimately strong talent that they have uh, that's young, that still has to be developed. Um, the booking has gotten better. I mean, it's funny because I have this long running uh, thing where I like take pot shots at Tajiri in, in my reviews at Voices of Wrestling. Right. And, uh, you know, it's funny because a day or two ago, Tajiri put out a tweet in Japanese complaining that people will say like, you killed, he's killed every promotion he's ever worked for, which is kind of true. He had, he had Smash and he had Wrestling New Classic that won't, both went belly up. And then after Wrestling New Classic went belly up, he went to Wrestle One. And then that, he left Wrestle One before it went under, but it was clearly in free fall when he was there briefly. Yeah. Um, which is funny. Let alone ECW. Yeah. Uh, so but that was not Tajiri's fault. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got sort of this, and I mean, he's obviously like a shell of, of what he was in the ring. Um, and that too. So it's just sort of annoying to see him. And you can tell there are certain booking decisions that were made at his whim, like uh, giving super crazy a brief run with the junior title. <laughs> what yeah this happened in like uh december oh december and, and then and then and then in january super crazy goes to noah so of course funny. he does yeah he power play power play i'm not sure if he was actually headhunted or there was some sort of agreement that he works like a month or two in all japan and then goes to noah i actually suspect it's the latter oh okay because yeah. he dropped the title and everything cleanly and everything like that. Oh, so he did the honorable thing. Yeah, so I, I, it was just a short thing, and then Noah gets him, right? Um, anyway, the point is, I guess, you know, Tajiri seems to be, well, we think it's Tajiri and Suji Ishikawa booking the company. Um, that is sort of um, the thing, and the reports are like, there are some people disgruntled backstage with Tajiri, some others are not. He's popular among the ex Wrestle One guys, um, apparently, is. which is, uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's the frustration over the Shotara Shino push uh, because he comes in there and, and, the, and it's so, and it feels so hot and it shakes everything up. And then he just does a couple of jobs and Triple Crown title matches. And that was pretty deflating for me. And I think a lot of people got pissed. But uh, here's the thing. And, I, and I'm not trying to say, oh, what they handled him perfectly or anything like that. But there are some dubious questions of like how much of a draw he actually is, right? And that's just the way it is. Do I think they could have done a better job with him? Absolutely. I mean, they're doing a better job now, but it was a case of breaking him down before they built him back up, which I'm right. not sure was necessarily had to have been done the way it was, but... I don't know. I don't know if you can really make the case that he should have won the champion, the triple crown as soon as he came in there, like some people were saying. Um, but, but yeah, Kevin but Carl that is not that is not that is not me making excuses for a lot of the other booking decisions from about July 2020 or June 2020 when he came in till about oh I don't know 
January this year or right. so, or, or uh, maybe a little earlier late last year. It was like a, a year and a half of some not so great stuff. Um, Champion Carnival still going on? Uh, the finals are on Wednesday. Ooh, what's in the final? So in the finals, we have, uh, it'll be Jake Lee versus Yuma Aoyagi. Oh, that's a, sort of an unpredictable one there. Uh, so yeah, I well, I have a prediction, but I'll say this is the first fight. Like to tell you, the, the one of the problems with the companies, this is the first Champion Carnival final since 2017, not to feature Kento Miyahara. Excellent. Right, right. I mean, he is so far and away like the biggest drawn star in the company. Is like, well, you know, like I said, it's like the balancing act, right? You have you, he, he's the only guy who can fill your buildings, but you got to make new ones. So Jake Lee won the, the champion carnival and the triple crown for the first time last year. He turned heel to do it and like made his old heel faction out of sort of the ashes of uh, Enfance Terrible from Wrestle One. And they did the double turn and Shotaro Shino turned face. Um, Jake Lee is a very good professional wrestler in the ring, but he just doesn't play a very good heel. Uh, there's flashes of like times where I say, Oh, looks like he's turning a corner and he's really feeling comfortable as a heel. And then the next show, I'm like, oh, fuck this, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think at this point, it's it's just been too inconsistent. And we're like about over a little over a year into this heel run. And I think that's at that point, it's safe to say, I'm not sure he's ever going to get it or at least not fast enough that he needs it. Right. Now he had to vacate the title because he broke his orbital bone back in late December. The Joe Allen bean injury. Yeah. Um, fortunately, I'm a fortunately I'm a Sixers fan. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to rub that in. Yeah. yeah, I know it's fine. It's fine. I wasn't expecting much, and uh, I think frankly, going to six games was more than I was expecting. Um, oh, if they won on what Thursday, I thought you guys were going to win the series. Yeah, yeah, maybe, but I just didn't have that sort of uh, expectation so it was i didn't i did not take it very hard definitely oh good um, i took i took the kawaii shot very hard and i had to watch <laughs> it for an hour that's why we're punishment for a poker game yeah and it was not fun watching that shot for an hour straight quadruple doink into the basket <laughs> god yeah anyway so with jake lee it's like he has a lot of the tools. He's got the size. He's got the look. Like he's got your like idol right. look, good looking guy. Um, nice flow, nice hair. <laughs> oh, I thought Jake Lee was bald. No, 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 no. What was I thinking? I was thinking of Vegeta. I thought yeah. Jake Lee looked like Vegeta. So he didn't happen, but I think he's still winning the champion carnival because okay, you give him back-to-back -back champion carnival wins. No one's done that since Minoru Suzuki did in 2009, 2010. So because you, you need to keep him as a main eventer on, for one thing, but the, the rest of the time, there's clearly like other younger guys that they could keep elevating. Like Yuma Aoyagi is incredible. I would argue that he's one of the 20 best wrestlers in the world. Yeah, he, he was him. a good junior for them, right? He was their junior no, 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 he was never junior champ. I mean, he was oh, like a junior. No, no, no. He thought... was a he was a junior for a couple of years, like the beginning of his career. Okay, that's why I was thinking of. Um, he's got I a younger he brother junior. that his I, younger I brother. Oh, okay. His younger brother is being groomed to be the junior ace, though. 
Atsuki Aoki. Aoyagi. Atsuki Aoyagi. Aoyagi. Okay. His younger brother, who debuted in January 2019, and he's clearly junior sized. He'll never move up. Um, he's being groomed to be the junior ace, and he's very good, like high flyer type thing. I haven't and, watched All Japan in such a long time. Yeah. So I get confused. So we're in a problem where there's a couple of old guys like Ishikawa and Suwama. There's Kento. There's Jake Lee who hasn't turned out like they clearly have expected. And there's Yuma, but there's like no one else is ready. I mean, there could be guys that could be in a couple of years. But they're not ready now. Yeah. So I think there's actually some long-term hope, but booking stuff for a while until these people are ready could get a little tricky, I think. Yeah, that could. Yeah, that's but, always tricky with wrestling, no matter who. But my, my point is, like, look, take a look at some of the things. If you were watching in 2018, 2019. Yeah, I watched. Give, give the champion carnival a look. Yeah, it looks like a good carnival, honestly. Yeah. So any any highly suggested matches from the champion carnival this year? Uh, yeah, I've got a few. Uh, I would watch. Uh, just a couple of days ago on the 29th, Yuma Aoyagi versus Kento Miyahara, 30-minute draw. Ooh. Which is, like, I, and, like, I complained about the booking before, but the booking is getting better, right? And this was, like, one of those examples of it. They booked it so Yuma gets into the finals by only getting a draw, right? And, and Kento and Yuma have been on and again, off again, tag team partners. So this match was building some more tension and like i think they're running the budokan for their 50th anniversary show in in which seems kind of crazy that, in the size crazy. of the company but uh in september and i think the main event's going to be yuma versus kento right so if it is and i don't see there's no other main event they could do unless they bring in an else a big outsider for kento to face but the right. the biggest match they can do in the company is kento versus yuma for the triple crown um so I think that's, to me, the way that this was built. And like, in the, in the course of the match, why I love the match so much is like, you can see it like their like relationships beginning to get more tense again. Right. Because there's the rivalry, because Kento's a champ, but Yuma is like, he's only 25 and he's actually quite oh, incredible. Really? Yeah, for, for his age. Um, so it's like the situation of like this guy that's can no longer be in Kento's shadow anymore and, and that sort of thing. And they start like really like taking a look into each other. So that's a really good 30 minute draw. Right. Cause it's like the ending is so great because he gets them up in, like Yuma hits his, like it's called the rock star buster, which is one of his finishers, which is like a fisherman's buster. Right. And as soon as he hits it, the time expires. expires. Right. So it's like, well, great could timing. he be pinned him? if he had like the time hadn't run out right because he's never pinned uh kento yeah. in, in, a, in a single or miyahara yeah in a singles match but in a tag match in the undercard of the the show before that they face each other yuma got his first ever direct pinfall over kento in a tag match right so they're like building up to it and up to it like he rolled him up with a flash pin they go to the 30 minute draw all the other times they faced each other, Kento had won. So it's like, okay, there's some actually good booking going on right now. Right. Um, and for the rest of the tournament, I would recommend Takuya Nomura versus Kento Miyahara, Takuya Nomura versus Yuma Aoyagi, and Takuya Nomura versus, um, oh, Suwama. 
which is awesome because <laughs> Suwama fucking like destroys him. Suwama murders him. It's a basic Suwama match. Give him a giant shiner. Give him with some nasty looking lariats. Other good matches uh, Shuji Shikawa versus Shigehiro Irie was a Ooh. really good match. And um, I'm curious what Irie does in uh, All Japan. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's, he's a freelancer, but they use him a good amount. And he, I think he's been good in the mid card to help the company, right? And I, I would also recommend, I'll give you a warning. It's a 30 minute draw, but I really enjoyed it. T Hawk versus Shigehiro Irie. Oh. But it goes 30 minutes. Like the middle is a little, well, like a little but, bit. But, but I thought the T-Hawk rest of the stuff, Irie, the rest of the match was really good. Fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So here's the thing I have out of the whole, okay, so the blocks are done. I had two four star matches and one four and a quarter matches. All right. But I had nothing yeah. below two. So this is like the king of the three and a half, but I don't have anything below two and three quarters. And that was like Yoshitatsu. No, and that was Yoshitatsu. Easy watch. <laughs> right? Very easy watch, right? Not, not high end. Although, I mean, they should get, they should start getting, tried to get back into it. Cause they were, well, they were never like the top of the bottom to the top of the card was never high end, even in 2018, 2019. No, but the top of the card, right. but the top of the card was very high end, higher end than it is now. So I think hopefully with Kento back as champ, we can get to that. Yeah. I think, look, under if this was three years ago, well, I don't want to say that because Yuma's gotten so much better. But the Jake Lee of even three years ago and the Yuma Aoyagi of today could have a four and a half star yeah. match. Good. But here's the thing. What's dragging Jake down is his character work, yeah. right? He he tries to be like, he, he has this ridiculous, like evil scientist laugh that he does. And he like, he like, you know, he's like, you know, does all these weird like arm and hand motions and stuff. And like, if, if he cuts the crap and just tries to kick the shit out of Aoyagi, it could be an incredible match, but I'm a little worried about how it turns out because if Jake just goes into like melodramatic supervillain mode. Yeah. Yeah. Plugs for you. Um, yeah. I mean, the big plug is you can read all my stuff on voices of wrestling. I have covered the, every champion carnival show I've got, I could, didn't have time to do review of the Noah junior show, but I've got a match, uh, review of the, um, yesterday's Noah show with, uh, <laughs> all sorts of craziness and, and lots of old men doing things. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at Emerald flow show, all one word. And we come out every other week. Um, we don't have like a set day because things happen. We're probably not going to record until after Wednesday. We'll have an episode coming out later next week, like Thursday or Friday, because the champion carnival finals are on Wednesday and there's no point in, 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 in skipping that show and waiting we'll just wait to record and everything like that. So, so I host that uh, uh, with Paul Vosh also of voices of wrestling. Oh, Jenny, I can't hear you. Paul, uh, I can I can hear you now. Paul's a good guy, so he is. Yes. No, sorry for the. Uh, I put my earphones in for a second. Yeah. But, but then, uh, 
and the mic wasn't working. So. Yeah, I, I'm probably going to go and grab a few groceries and then uh, I'm just going to watch wrestling all night because there's a lot going on tonight. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Gerard, for joining me. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Danny.